0: show. Both guests are next hour. John Beeson, the former NFL and Miami Hurricanes star linebacker, former Panther. He'll be live in about 60 minutes on college football and some NFL. Jeff Elliott, formerly of the ACC, is the new executive director of the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame. We'll chat with Jeff in our third hour. We welcome your participation on the headlines of the day. Roderick Clemens, Carly Lloyd, Sister Jean, Antonio Brown, Zeke Elliott, the ACC Network. I even have some breaking news from the XFL that I will share briefly. The question of the day that allows for your participation on all things football, what NFL player or coach best fits the proverbial hot seat description this year? And if you're a Panthers fan, do you agree with David Newton of ESPN that Ron Rivera is the correct answer for the Panthers hot seat? Mitch Trubisky of the Bears, Marcus Mariota of the Titans, Jimmy Garoppolo of the Niners, Jameis Winston of the Bucks, Andy Dalton of the Bengals, Eli Manning of the Giants, and Josh Rosen of the Dolphins are the quarterbacks. That were the answers to those questions, at least at NFL Nation. When it comes to hot seat coaches, the ESPN survey singled out guys like Jason Garrett in Dallas, Ron Rivera in Carolina. Of course, again, they're the only two of the seven longest tenured head coaches who have not yet won the Super Bowl. So the longer you're around, the higher the expectations get, and those two are carrying the weight of that burden. Doug Marone of the Jaguars is getting votes today as a hot seat coach. Jay Gruden of Washington, Mike Vrabel of Tennessee, Bill O'Brien of the Texans, and Matt Patricia of the Lions quarterbacks and head coaches leading the way on hot seat day. You can share your answer to the question of the day. What NFL player or coach best fits the proverbial hot seat description this year? And if you're a Panthers fan, is Ron Rivera the right answer to that question? One thing I promise, and then we'll come back to your calls as intern Drew takes them right now, 1-800-849-2761. There is a Larry Bird controversy. It involves tattoos and he doesn't have any tattoos, and that's part of the issue. Here's how it breaks down, and then we come to your calls. There is an Indiana-based artist named Jules Muck described as a graffiti and street artist, but I've seen some work, and graffiti would not be doing it justice. It's really some talented artwork, but it's done on the side of buildings sometimes, for example, in various places in downtowns, in this case in the state of Indiana. Jules Muck knew little or nothing about Larry Bird, but because Jules' work became so famous, especially the murals, Jules had friends and acquaintances saying, you know, why haven't you ever done Larry Bird? And the response was like, well, I know who Larry Bird is, but why would I do Larry Bird? Well, Jules, you're a famous artist in the state specifically of Indiana. Larry Bird is one of the greatest basketball players of all time. You may not know sports all that well, if at all. You might only remember him with the Boston Celtics, but he's from Indiana, parentheses, French lick. He is also a product of Indiana State University. Jules thinks this is a good idea. Jules decides to make Larry Bird the subject of an upcoming mural. Jules does the mural. Time goes by. Larry Bird is walking the streets of Indiana and sees clearly a Larry Bird mural on the side of the building. It is Larry Bird to a degree that you can see the blonde hair. You can see other characteristics. He has kind of an unusual nose. He is wearing a basketball jersey in the mural. But he doesn't like the fact that there are tattoos all over Larry Bird's body in the mural. I didn't know this exactly because some people who don't have obvious tattoos actually have tattoos elsewhere, but Larry Bird says he doesn't have any tattoos whatsoever, and this mural by Jules Muck clearly includes a lot of tattoos. There is some kind of cardinal-type figure on one of Larry Bird's cheeks. There is one of those spider-like tapt- uh, spider-web-type tattoos, which if you're the right person, you can pull off. If you have well-rounded shoulders, and I'm a to-each-his-own guy. I'm not a tattoo guy, but I don't think any less of anybody if you have one or ten or anywhere in between. The lovely and talented Maria sometimes sneaks out of town and over my objection gets another tattoo. She asks me for my vote as someone who's been married to her for more than 20 years. I say that I vote no. I have used the line, you need no further splendor. I love you exactly the way you are. No need. No more adornment is necessary. She listens, theoretically, to my feedback and then proceeds to ignore that feedback, slip out of town with some girlfriends, and return only to show me gleefully her latest tattoo. Now, hers are small and well-positioned, et cetera. You'd almost have to go to the swimming pool with the Glens to see some of them. I'll just leave it at that. In Larry Bird's case, the tattoos are not at all discreet in the mural. And again, he doesn't have any in real life, at least according to him. I've never seen him in a bathing suit. He has the spider web tattoo in the mural on his left shoulder. There there are rabbits. Let me just say that they are positioned in a way that suggests they are attempting to reproduce. All right. You've heard the phrase about rabbits that way. Well... On Larry's right forearm, at least in the mural, again, not in real life, there are uh, humping rabbits. How about that? On his right hand, there is a basketball. On his left forearm is a scripted version of the word Indiana. There are others that I don't even claim to try to understand. So Jules takes Larry Bird and his image, on the side of this, Indiana, I believe it's like a multi-family residence, just a big side of the building that had been vacant. Jules Muck is famous for making beautiful such vacant areas, and Jules Muck, encouraged by her friends, makes Larry Bird her latest subject. So let, apparently time goes by, Larry's walking around, heard about it or whatever, and he sees it. Now, it's Larry. I mean, you see the mural. The hair, the eyes, the nose, the basketball. He is wearing a basketball jersey. And if you add the rest of the elements, the word Indiana, et cetera, there are striped shorts, much like the ones he wore at Indiana State. There is a light blue color that most people associate with UNC, but a variation of that light blue has been used, and I assume still is, is at Indiana State for their athletics teams. Now, you may not know this, and here's where my 17 years as an attorney comes into play. Darren, if you're the artist, you're Jules Muck, and you come to me and say, uh, D.G., I pay you a lot by the hour, so let me pepper you with legal questions. My friends have suggested Larry Bird. Now that I know more about Larry Bird's deep and intense roots here in Indiana, I would like to make him the subject of one of my murals. Can I do that, or would I get into trouble? Well... It's a long, complicated answer, but it boils down to, among other things, this. You can't just take, for example, a Sports Illustrated photo shoot, recreate it in the form of a side-of-the-wall mural, and claim it as your own if you're simply duplicating what Sports Illustrated did in Sports Illustrated. Otherwise, you're inviting a lawsuit, copyright-style infringement from Sports Illustrated. I would also encourage you as your attorney, Jules, J- Darren Vaught, Jules Muck, when you put, if you put Larry in a jersey, don't make it a Celtics jersey. <laughs> right. And don't make it an Indiana State jersey. Like, <laughs> tweak it. It would be like if you were a band and you wanted to redo somebody's song. A, you got to make clear that you're doing a redo. You can't claim it as your own and just, like, change the title and say, oh, that's mine. It's all mine. When the guitar riff is the same and this is the same and that's the same. Again, you're going to invite a lawsuit and you're going to lose the lawsuit. And even if you didn't lose every one, those suing you usually have much deeper pockets than you do. So you you'd like to play nice on the front end if at all possible. So Jules wisely doesn't use Indiana State. Does use the Indiana State colors, but this is where the tweaks take you from illegal. You can't duplicate SI's work. You can't duplicate the Celtics or the Indiana State jersey. But because of the good old-fashioned First Amendment, Darren, you can tweak things that were made by others, add your own artistic contribution to them, and what would have been illegal becomes legal. See that legal magic wand I just waved for you? That was all in like a minute, man, and I won't even charge you for that minute. She adds things that clearly are not actually on Larry Bird's face, the cardinal tattoo, the spider on the shoulder, the heart, the humping bunnies, et cetera. So there's a whole lot of variations. SI can't say, and if you look up this SI photo shoot from 1977, it is crystal clear that Jules Muck's Larry Bird mural starts from that. There's just absolutely no – this was not from – Just the the annals of, of the artist's mind. This was clearly the starting point SI photo shoot, Larry Bird from 1977. Even some of the colors, the jersey, again, not the specifics of the jersey, they were reproduced. So you dodge the SI lawsuit because of the tweaks. You dodge the Indiana lawsuit, Indiana State rather, because of the tweaks. You don't use Indiana State as a phrase at all. And because you tweak it, theoretically, You lose the Larry Bird. This is your work, right? Larry Bird can't come at you. Well, Larry Bird's attorney had other ideas. His name is Gary Sally. And when Larry Bird complained about the mural of himself on a Fountain Square building in Indiana, Gary Sally responded with this. He told the Indianapolis Star, Larry's position is that he has elevated himself from where he began to where he is now through a lot of hard work. He has developed a brand that is marketable and he needs to protect that brand legally. The mural, as originally painted, was a departure from the brand that Larry Bird built. He was asked, Bird did not ask for the mural to be removed entirely. His attorney said Larry has not been heavy handed on this at all, but Bird was willing to compromise. He did object to the tattoos. And the attorney said this, all of Larry's friends and 98% of his players have tattoos themselves. He doesn't have a problem with tattoos. He just doesn't want to be seen as a tattooed guy himself in part because he is not a tattooed guy himself. According to the attorney, the artist said she thought that the tattooed Larry had value to Larry and his fans. She now understands why Larry... Does not think that they are still in negotiations. Uh, the rabbits apparently are still humping one another. There was, there are other mural works of art that have apparently beautified the state of Indiana without objection. This one remains in intense negotiation. Muck told the Indiana Indianapolis Star she was simply commissioned to paint a wall. She chose Larry Bird on the recommendation of her friends. She did her best to tweak it artistically. It was kind of kitsch and kind of retro can you define either one of those she says it was kitsch and retro
1: yeah can can you help the old guy for that she's
0: she's trying to kitsch. she's trying to define or to um, justify the artistic value in giving him tattoos i think she would tell you herself she's she's aware that larry bird doesn't have tattoos or, or doesn't have tattoos that were visible but it's sort of a way of of, uh, <laughs> making it more street art E she said, I can't legally just do an exact replica of a photograph and artistically. I don't want to anyway. Right. So they're in negotiation. Hopefully, hopefully everybody will live happily ever after, but you got to look it up, man. It's kind of striking. It's half Larry bird and it's just half crazy, crazy artistic tweaks that, uh, I'm not sure. Make for Larry becoming a better version of himself. <laughs> Maybe his issue was with the neck tattoo that appears to say the word "hoosier." Is that what it says? Yeah. I can't tell. Yeah. Uh, well, Indiana. I, he actually specified through his attorney that if she would take all the other tattoos off, Spiderweb's got to go, hump and bunny's got to go, the '76 <laughs> reference has to go. Uh, I think there's a there's a big heart on there somewhere with a message across it the indiana scripted on his left forearm can stay as his compromise proposal but all the other tattoos have to go hopefully they come to some kind of agreement the house can still have a wonderful mural celebrating larry bird one of the greats in american history sports wise certainly one of the greats in indiana history that is today's legal controversy of the day brought to you at significantly less than $1,000 per hour. 1-800-849-2761. John Beeson of the ACC Network joins us live in 45 minutes. Jeff Elliott, North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame, joins us later third hour. You have a question about the ACC Network? I have an answer on the other side, as that channel makes its launch tomorrow. 1-800-849-2761. The floating question of the day remains the same. What NFL player or coach best fits the proverbial hot seat description? And if you're a Panthers fan, is ESPN right that Ron Rivera himself is the correct answer to the hot seat question? Elsewhere around the league, a lot of wideouts, quarterbacks, the occasional kicker. Kareem Hunt, the running back, is deemed the hot seat guy for the Cleveland Browns. Kevin Colbert, In Pittsburgh, the general manager of the Steelers is viewed as the hot seat guy there. Mark Murphy, the president of the Green Bay Packers, CEO, is viewed as the hot seat guy there. Most of these franchises, the writers selected a key player. A handful selected a coach or an administrator. We'll move around the league with your help at 1-800-849-2761. Great guests later. My ACC Network update on the other side. Your legal questions related to the Larry Bird tattoos, if there are any. College football is naming starting quarterbacks left and right, school by school. And Greg Popovich has his hands full with Team USA. Did you know that our nation, in an international tournament setting, has not lost a game since 2006? And yet the team headed to China for the every four-year World Cup. Used to be called World Championship is the weakest looking non-lockout team that I've ever seen our well that I have seen our country send since they allowed the pros to play about 30 years ago. There was a lockout year and that's kind of an asterisk we'll put off that roster to the side because the NBA players were not eligible while being locked out. That's different. This is just like 20-plus elite NBA players saying, no, I either can't or won't represent my country this time. That competition starts in 10 days. And let's just say you won't be overwhelmed by the roster that Greg Popovich has with Team USA right now, especially as it compares to what Mike Krzyzewski was building as the Team USA head coach over the last decade plus. Those stories with your phone calls, 1-800-849-2761. Next on The David Glenn Show welcome back to the david glenn show we do have a floating question allowing for your participation we do have two great guests both next hour we do have breaking news in the xfl question of the day is for football fans what nfl player or coach best fits the proverbial hot seat description this year just among coaches we've had votes for ron rivera of the panthers that was espn's pick as well jason garrett of the cowboys doug marone of the jags Jay Gruden in Washington, Mike Vrabel in Tennessee, Bill O'Brien in Houston, and Matt Patricia in Detroit. Lots of players, including quarterbacks nominated as well. Mitch Trubisky, Jimmy Garoppolo, Andy Dalton, Eli Manning, Josh Rosen, Jameis Winston. Marcus Mariota and others, 1-800-849-2761. Guests next hour, your calls now. If you'd like to dial us up, you can be next at 1-800-849-2761. Here's the breaking news for the XFL. Some believe this will just be the latest failure for outdoor professional football in our country. I believe we're in double digits at this point. In examples of those who tried to kind of catapult on the NFL's amazing success, and despite some downward trends, the NFL is still printing money in a way that few American industries ever have been able to print money. So anyone telling you they're struggling probably has an ideological or political agenda and they're misleading you in the wrong direction because the NFL, while having some warts, is still making an extraordinary amount of money. Well, the NFL ends its season. Real games don't even start until September, and then it ends its season either in late January or early February. So that's a big chunk of the old calendar. You don't need to be an MBA in the Ivy League to see that if outdoor professional football is that popular, maybe, maybe there is it. Well, we know there's some demand for more of it maybe you could use the chunk of the calendar where the NFL is not in action. They still have their draft. They still have their offseason, free agency. They do a pretty good job of staying in the headlines 12 months a year, but in terms of Inventory TV. You have preseason games in August. You have regular season games from September into the near the Christmas holidays. And then you have a month plus of playoff action. And you know the deal NFL playoff games actually rank like, you know, one through 20 in the most watched American TV shows, not just sports again, but any types of TV. NFL playoff games many years are like 19 of the top 20 examples. That's how powerful the NFL still is. So the theory is fill the gap, take advantage of of that proven aspect of outdoor American football and try to get NFL fans who aren't getting enough in their offseason in the form of free agency and trades and draft and combine and the rest of that stuff. Well, every attempt, including the recent Alliance of American Football, has failed. Every single one. The Arena League, indoors, still survives in various forms, but from the old USFL to the recent Alliance of American Football, where Tom Dundon tried to save it with his Mega Millions. But even after his efforts, it went swirling down the drain. They had to pull the plug before the end of the season. They're still dealing with the legal repercussions and ramifications there. Every example has gone swirling down the drain, including the original XFL. Well, the news today is not that the XFL is coming back. We've known that for a long time. But we now know the names. We now have the logos. They're actually pretty cool logos. I'll give them credit for that. I don't know if that impacts your chances of success a whole lot. But we will have, starting in February 2020, so we are now, what is that, six months away from the XFL Part 2, and unlike the Alliance of American Football, which in my opinion – would have and could have succeeded if it was a better executed idea. They wanted to race to get into your consciousness before the XFL. And by racing, doesn't this happen? Doesn't? Didn't your grade school teacher or parent or guardian at one point tell, tell you haste makes waste? You have to do it properly, carefully, or you're just going to stub your toe and mess up your enterprise. I believe that's what the AAF did. They were so focused on getting ahead of the XFL, which they knew was a 2020 launch, they were underfunded. They had to go scramble into Tom Dundon for his mega millions. They they couldn't even meet payroll once some of their promised investors started to be a little dry when it came to handing over the actual cash to help the league meet payroll. So a good idea that was getting good TV ratings goes swirling down the drain, not because it wasn't a good idea, Not because it didn't have a sustainable business model in the longer run, but by rushing to get in front of your eyeballs, they just didn't have the foundation built properly, financially or otherwise. So good ratings, but the inability to capitalize on good TV ratings as an out-of-season, non-NFL, outdoor professional football league. The news today from the XFL, here you go. You are ready for these eight? You're going to rush out and buy your sweatshirts and T-shirts, even though none of these eight teams is anywhere near the Carolinas. There will be the Dallas Renegades, the Houston Roughnecks, the Los Angeles Wildcats, the New York Guardians, the St. Louis Battlehawks, the Seattle Dragons, the Tampa Bay Vipers, And the Washington Defenders, again, I do approve of their eight logos. Remember, whereas the AAF ran out of money, even after Tom Dundon's help, he pulled the plug, so technically they didn't run out of money. He just didn't want to burn through the rest of his $250 million that they were leaning on him, given that they were spending it even more quickly than he originally thought, and he, in the end, thought that they misled him about a lot of aspects of what he was getting himself into. Again, Tom made a quick decision to get into the AAF, just like the quick decision of the AAF to launch a year early came back to haunt them. I think Tom's quick decision came back to haunt him. Again, haste makes waste. Why does it usually take longer to strike big deals, to make big things happen? Well, because lawyers and others make sure – that you're crossing the right T's and dotting the right I's and that you don't have a trap de- door or the carpet ready to be pulled from under you unknowingly. Vince McMahon's money is behind this XFL. This XFL has a partnership with NBC. In fact, it's 50% owned by the WWF and 50% owned by the NBC. Why did the SEC network in the college sports context not only succeed, but it succeed right away in terms of distribution and all the rest, in large part because their partner was ESPN. Now, that wasn't an ownership share, but when your partner is ESPN slash Disney, which has many, including non-sports channels, that are among the most popular in the entire United States. So ESPN, of course, infinitely more popular than any sports channel ever, and it's not even close we pay like seven to eight dollars per month to get ESPN. That's what we as consumers pay. Almost no other sports channel gets even a dollar per month. So, so ESPN is getting seven to eight times what the second best sports channel gets from its carriers, which is the NFL network, at a little bit more than a dollar per month. That, that's a big deal, right? The SEC network succeeds in part because there's a lot of passion for the sec and the acc hopes the acc network launching tomorrow succeeds in part because there's a lot of passion in an even bigger footprint demographically than what the sec has but that's your part of the equation you're not out there trying to convince people to carry this stuff that's where you lean on disney and espn where they use their leverage oh you want the disney channel Oh, you want the History Channel? You want these FX ne- networks that we've acquired? They ha- Disney has the most popular sports channel and three of the other most popular channels, non-sports, in all of American television. You really going to negotiate harder with them than you would a smaller operation? Of course not. That's not how economics work. The XFL is taking a a more methodical approach, which I think is smart. Vince McMahon has even deeper pockets than Tom Dundon, all due respect. Tom's a billionaire, probably a multi-billionaire, but he's not a David Tepper $13 billion guy, and he's not a McMahon husband and wife guy either. WWF owns 50%, and your TV partner owns the other 50%. So you have your exposure. The Big Ten Network succeeded in part. You know who their partner is? Fox. It's not—the Pac-12 network still doesn't have 20 million subscribers seven years after launch. You know why? They don't have a co-owner that can go into these negotiations and say, you better carry my channel. The Pac-12 decided to go it alone, and the Pac-12 is still really basically treading water seven years later. The SEC network was shot out of a cannon on day one, not seven years later— in large part because they partnered with the right people at ESPN and Disney. The XFL has a smarter TV plan than the AAF did. The XFL has deeper pockets than the AAF did. And the XFL took the more methodical approach. Hey, we'd love to launch in 2019, but I'm not sure if we have everything lined up right until February of 2020. For those three reasons, I think the XFL... Is going to be able to execute what was the right idea by the AAF. They're not going to be the same, by the way. The XFL is going to be way more experimental with rules. It's going to look mostly like NFL football, but there's going to be all sorts of examples, you know, with creative extra points and creative, maybe even uh, little or no special teams, or if it's there, creative special teams. Most of that is already publicly available if you want to check it out. But when it launches in February 2020, the XFL Part 2 is going to have a better chance than XFL Part 1, a better chance than the old USFL, a better chance than what we just saw recently with the Alliance of American Football. I don't know how much I'm going to watch, but the thirst among American sports fans for all things Gridiron is so intense that we live in a world where the NFL long ago became the number one sport in our country by all sorts of different metrics, TV ratings, money, mega-billion-dollar enterprise and otherwise. The Arena League has succeeded in various ways indoors. College football, despite declining attendance, has the best TV money it has ever had. High school football is hugely popular in many parts of the country. There are all sorts of issues, lawsuits, safety issues, Helmet issues if you're Antonio Brown. You know, anthem controversies, et cetera. The positives of football in our country so far outweigh the negatives of football even despite those warts. I think this XFL will have the longest shelf life of anything we've seen. Technology is different today, the deeper pockets of today, the experimental rules of today, and fill in that basically six-month gap if the Super Bowl is in early February and you don't get preseason NFL action until early August, that's a six-month gap. 50, no, no smart business people are ignoring 50% of the calendar. The NFL, again, takes its little bites. Oh, please watch our combine. Please cover the draft. They're good at that. But as long as they're not playing games, remember the AAF wanted to be a partner with the NFL. They specifically met with Roger Goodell and said, we don't want to compete against you. We want to compliment you. We want to avoid your regular season. We even want to become a feeder system for players for you. We'll even become a feeder system for for officials to take some of the burden of you training them off of you. Smart idea by the AAF. They had a lot of smart ideas. They just didn't have the right execution. The XFL naming those eight teams today in, of course, a mix of markets that have the NFL, Dallas and Houston and L.A. and New York and seattle and tampa and washington but in one case diving into st louis which of course recently lost the national football league 1-800-849-2761 i'll answer your acc network question on the other side and we'll welcome more of your phone calls on the question of the day what nfl player coach best fits the proverbial hot seat description this year and if you're a panthers fan is ron rivera the right answer to that question more of your calls with more of those headlines next on the david glenn show Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. One quick thing on the ACC network, then your phone calls. Roger Clemens, Carly Lloyd, Sister Jean, Antonio Brown, Zeke Elliott, XFL News. ACC Network questions left and right, hot seat questions for football fans. What NFL player or coach best fits the proverbial hot seat description this year? We have a lot of head coaches on that list, according to your votes. A lot of quarterbacks on that list. Ron Rivera of the Panthers was ESPN's answer to the Panthers version of that question. You can chime in. What NFL player or coach, in your eyes, best fits the proverbial hot seat description this year? And if you are a Panthers fan... Is Ron Rivera that answer for you? 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. The ACC Network launches tomorrow. It is essential that that channel is a success because the ACC has fallen far behind two and only two leagues financially. The SEC had a successful launch of the SEC Network five years ago and is making tons of money. They write checks for $44 million per school on an annual basis, and that number continues to go up. The Big Ten Network launched 12 years ago. And whereas it was not an immediate success, at this point it is so successful in conjunction with the Big Ten's other TV money that that league writes checks for 50 plus million per school per year. The, chunk, the largest chunk of that, again, being TV money. The ACC check for the most recently available tax year was 29 or so million. That's a big financial gap. And for decades, there have been smaller gaps, sometimes with the ACC at number one, the wealthiest conference in terms of per-school payout. It has dropped in more recent years to fifth out of the five Power Five leagues. That's an alarm bell. It's not as much of an alarm when you compare the ACC to the Pac-12, where the Pac-12 network has not been a success, or the Big 12, which does not have its own Big 12 network at this point, and there aren't even any plans for it. Compared to those two leagues, the ACC is kind of neck and neck. Compared to the Big 10 and the SEC, it has fallen way behind. You can't forever have another conference sending its teams checks worth almost double what you, the ACC, are sending to your members every year. Over one year, that might only be a $25 million difference. Over 10 years, that's a quarter of a billion dollars, all right? And the ACC is doing great competitively again, right? They win more national titles in men's basketball by far than anybody else, and they've won three of the last six football championships with Florida State grabbing one and Dabo and Clemson two more recently than that. When you're winning half or more of the time, In the two sports that matter most in the championship level, you've got a lot of things going for you competitively. At some point, if you fall behind enough financially – the competitive part has to be jeopardized to one degree or another. So that's what's at stake here. And everybody agrees the new ACC network launching tomorrow will help cut that gap. It will definitely not eliminate that gap. But ACCADs, for example, have been told to expect four to $5 million in new money thanks to the ACC network and a successful launch. Not everybody has agreed to carry it, but here's the reminder because I got this question, this question multiple times in recent days even if you are a person who is a customer of a carrier that now has agreed to carry the ACC network. And again, TV has 19 million customers across the country. Spectrum, 16 million, and they recently agreed to carry this network. Verizon Fios, Optimum, Suddenlink, Altice, Hulu with Live TV, YouTube TV, Google Fiber, PlayStation View, T-Vision, a whole bunch of other smaller and independent carriers. All of those I just mentioned are carrying the ACC network. The biggest holdouts are Comcast slash Xfinity, which is not a big deal here in North Carolina, but I have a lot of friends in Virginia who are upset about it. Dish Network is the second largest satellite company. They do not yet have a deal to carry the ACC network. The mistakes that people are making, even though in our state, a huge majority of people now have access thanks to the deals by DirecTV and Spectrum. Even if your satellite slash cable slash fiber slash other provider, even if that distributor has agreed to carry this new ACC channel starting tomorrow, you still must make sure that you have the package that includes it. Now, We're all different here. I know that as a cable subscriber, there is a tier that I could, a basic tier that I could sign up for that doesn't have the SEC network or the Big Ten network or the new ACC network. The same cable company, if I'm willing to bump up my package, I get all three. So some people are concluding, and I get this question because I've written the longest, most in-depth articles in the pages of the ACC Sports Journal's brand-new kickoff edition and at theathletic.com, it was one of their most read articles for three, three straight days running when I posted it a while back. People are making the assumption, well, wait a minute, they're just doing some basic math. All right, TV has 19 million customers. I can assume that the new ACC network has 19 million customers, subscribers. No, you cannot assume that because not all 19 million TV customers pay for the tier that includes – those special sports channels. Now, if you're a Hulu with live TV customer, this is why it gets confusing. Hulu with live TV has 2 million customers roughly. All 2 million are getting the ACC network. This is where if you are are on a tier-based agreement, you have to double-check. Does my tier include the ACC network, or any of those other channels that I mentioned. If you're with one of these, you either get it or you don't carriers, like Hulu with live TV, well, then you get it automatically. You're, you're a Hulu with live TV customer. You upgraded from the basic Hulu, and that means whatever Hulu carries in live TV, including now the ACC network, you get it automatically. I've been getting... From all the shows that I did back when I wrote my articles, I'm getting the, hey, DG, man, you wrote that the SEC network and the Big Ten network each have 50 to 60 million subscribers, and everybody wants to compare apples to apples. How many subscribers will the ACC network have on day one? Well, all you can all you can conclude is how many households have access to it through their carriers. That is basic math, right? Okay, DirecTV, 19 million. You have access. Now, you might not be paying for that tier, but you do have access to it. That math is easy. 19 million at DirecTV plus 16 million at Spectrum plus 4 or 5 million at Verizon Fios plus another 3 or 4 million from Altice plus another bunch of million from independent cable carriers plus the 2 million from Hulu with live TV plus another million from YouTube TV. All of these, again, have agreed to carry it. You're getting up there in numbers now. That's a great number. But it's proprietary information when you start asking, you uh, ask DirecTV, hey, how many of your 19 million customers pay for a tier that includes the ACC network, the SEC network, or the Big Ten network? They don't have to tell you that. That's proprietary information. There are industry leaders who estimate such things, and that's how we get the 50 to 60 million subscribers for the SEC network and the Big Ten network. That number is debated all the time. You ask an ESPN person, they'll fight you. They'll tell you that industry analyst doesn't know what they're talking about. The number's higher. The number's lower. No matter what number you print, trust me, Somebody, an athletic director, a commissioner, a TV executive, somebody, a cable company executive, somebody is calling you to tell you that that number is too high or too low. No matter what number you print, I promise you. And then you say, well, if you're, if you're objecting to the number, why, why don't you give me more information about what the number actually is, right? Because if you don't, I'm left to trust industry analysts and other sources that I have from either side of the negotiating table. The bottom line for the ACC network is that it is going to launch tomorrow from a position of strength. When you have far more of the mid-sized and large-sized carriers signed up than you have holes, that's a success story. Even the SEC network didn't have everybody signed up when they launched five years ago this month. They need to get Comcast on board because that is the biggest carrier of any kind in the entire country. Again, our friends in Virginia, many of them, millions, are Comcast slash Xfinity customers. Charter Spectrum is on board. DirecTV is on board. Verizon Fios is on board. The majority of mid-sized and large-sized carriers are on board. Ask the Big Ten how hard that is to pull off at launch. They weren't close to it. It took them years to get to that point. By that standard, the ACC network is ahead of schedule. To be a true home run, and it's not going to be a grand slam, so to be a true home run, they need to get Dish Network and Comcast Xfinity to carry the ACC Network. You get those two, the only other holdouts, and they would all be much smaller than those two holdouts, they'd be under maximum pressure. At that point, you're telling everybody else, listen, everybody else who matters is already carrying us. For now, though, because of those two major holdouts, Comcast Xfinity... And Dish Network, one from the cable world, but the biggest, one from the satellite world, the second biggest, you can't call it a home run at launch tomorrow. It's still, I'd argue, an extra base hit. To be a home run, you got to get one or two of those lingering big fish into the boat. We're back after this on The David Glenn Show. We will get into USA basketball and why so many people are saying no to our country with another big international competition coming up. We'll get back to the NFL as well. John Beeson played at that level as a Carolina Panther and otherwise. He was also a star for the Miami Hurricanes at the college level. Now with the ACC Network, which does launch tomorrow, John Beeson will drop by in five minutes to talk all things football. Jeff Elliott used to work for the ACC now runs the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame, or helps run it anyway. Jeff Elliott will drop by later next hour. We will have time for your calls and some Team USA and more NFL in between So file away that number, 1-800-849-2761. John Beeson was recently ranked as one of the best linebackers ever to come out of the Miami Hurricanes team and play in the National Football League. We saw him here in Charlotte with the Panthers. We're excited about his place with the new ACC network. That guy, John Beeson, next on The David Glenn Show.